Warning, the following episode contains elements of horror that may be unsuitable for listeners under the age of 13. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Beyond the Bazaar, a podcast curated to all things, well, bizarre. My name is Brianna, and I will be sharing with you urban legends, lore, ghost stories, and more from around our planet. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Bazaar podcast. I'm Brianna, your host, and I'm here with the 12th episode of season two. So if you all will recall, last week I had told you guys that the last two episodes of our season two, um, well, last two episodes, I should say, of the month of September are going to be rituals. And I managed to find some really creepy, really creepy ones for us to share and to go over with you guys. Because rituals are kind of my favorite and um, I know you guys like them as well. So I'm always eager to share with you guys rituals that I'm able to find. So the ritual I'll be sharing tonight is called the Sister Sister Game or Sarasarita. So the ritual Sarah Sarita is said to originate from Latin America. But there are two points of origin as to where the actual ritual comes from. One origin story states that Sarah Sarita is the offspring of the devil himself. While another origin story states that Sarah Sarita or sister sister is the origin of two sisters who came to an end by someone nefarious so they came to a grisly end a pair of sisters which is why the game also goes by sister sister fortunately it's not really clear as to which as to which origin is the true origin of the ritual or if either one of those are true but the most popular backstory and origin that's often shared is the sister sister of the two sisters so the objective of the ritual, the sister-sister game, or Sarasrita, is to contact the entity or entities known as Sarasrita. But I should warn you beforehand that Sarasrita, the sister-sister game, is not a game that you should play to gain any type of knowledge, as they're known to be an entity that lies. So as we always say before sharing these rituals, play at your own risk. We're not goading anyone to play, but if you do decide to play and experience anything, as always, let us know. So with that being said, let's get into how to play the sister-sister game, Sarah Sarita. Step one, find a partner to play with and gather your supplies. The supplies that you will need is a total of two coins, one for each player and both of the same denomination. And as many yes or no questions as you can come up with about anything at all. As for your playing space, you can pretty much play this game anywhere that you want to play it. 
but you want to be careful with selecting your playing space, as some spaces are better spaces than others. It is best to avoid places outdoors or anywhere where it's easy to lose the coin once it's tossed. Trust me, you do not want to risk losing one or both of your coins. As for the start time, you may begin at any time. When you're ready to play, go to your playing space with your partner, coins in hand, and sit on the ground. Make sure you're facing one another. Then, speaking in unison, ask for permission to enter the game. Say the following together. Sarah Sarita, may I play your game? And toss your coins over your shoulders at the same time. If the coins both land heads up, you may proceed. You have successfully earned permission to play. If one coin lands heads up and one coin lands tails up, the answer is maybe. Try asking again. If both coins are tails up, however, do not proceed. You have not received permission to play. You can try asking again, but don't push your luck. If the coin keeps landing tails up, or one tails and one heads, cease your attempts, apologize for being a nuisance, and leave the playing space. You can try again another day. Step 3. Once both players have received permission to play, begin asking your questions. The players should take turns, alternating every other question. But no matter whose turn it is to ask, Make sure to begin each question by addressing Sarah Sarita by name. Once a question has been asked, both players should throw their coins over their shoulders. If both coins land heads up, the answer to the question is yes. If they both land tails up, the answer is no. If one lands tails up and the other lands heads up, the answer is maybe. As for retrieving your coin, you may rise up from your sitting position to retrieve the coins from wherever they fell when you tossed them over your shoulder. Just make sure that you sit back down again before you ask the next question. Once again, you can ask as many questions as you wish. Ask whatever type of questions that you wish. But if you begin to receive nothing but maybe in response, or if you start to feel any feelings of uneasiness or unsettled, be on your guard. Sarah Sarita may no longer wish to play. Step four, when you're ready to stop playing or when you sense that Sarah Sarita no longer wishes to play, ask for permission to leave the game. With your partner, say together, Sarah Sarita, may I leave your game? And toss your coins over your shoulder at the same time. If both coins land heads up, you have successfully received permission to leave the game. If the coin is heads up and one coin is tails up, the answer is maybe. Try asking again. If both coins are tails up, however, do not proceed. You have not received permission to exit the game. Retrieve your coins and ask for it again. Do not, under any circumstances, leave the game until permission to do so has been granted. Now you see why losing your coins would have been problematic. Once you receive permission to leave the game, keep a hold of the coins, keep them in a safe place, and whatever you do, do not 
I repeat, do not spend them. Here's some things to keep in mind when playing the Sister Sister game or Sarah Sarita. Be wary of the answers that you receive. Sarah Sarita doesn't always tell the truth. Sometimes she does lie. She even lies about granting permission to leave the game. If you ask to exit the game and believe you have received permission to do so, stay vigilant over the next few days. If you should notice anything unusual, shadows moving in the corner of your eye, whisperers following you wherever you go, a sense that you're being watched even when you're alone, you might want to reconsider pulling out the coin and asking one more question. Ask, Sarah Sarita, am I still playing your game? Then, throw the coin over your shoulder. On which side did it land? This ritual is really cool. Like I said, I always like to explore different rituals and urban legends from other countries. And Sarah Sarita, this ritual comes from Latin America. I think it's really cool. Knowing, going into the game, knowing that you may be contacting an entity or a set of entities that may not be truthful. I don't understand why someone would go and ask questions or even get themselves in a type of situation like that. But apparently it's been done for this ritual to be a thing and to exist. One thing I do wish that I would have that could have found some information on as to why it wouldn't be a good idea to spend the coins that you're using. Like, I guess it kind of goes back to like you're not you're not 100 percent sure if you have permission to leave the game. So you actually want to have it just in case she lies about granting you permission to leave the game. So I could see why it would be a good idea to kind of have that have the coin on deck. But I was just kind of like kind of like puzzling so it's just like at the beginning it warns that it's not the type of game that you want to play to gain knowledge since you're playing with an entity that lies but at the same time it's just like I guess just that little cinch of hope that maybe you can gain some otherworldly knowledge as most of these rituals are like that like it's to gain access or information to the unknown like so many um so many rituals especially the rituals that we've shared um on this podcast have had kind of like the same end results like answering your most burning question or traveling to um, another dimension just accessing the unknown I think that's what makes these rituals so appealing to those who choose to partake in them now when I was reading um, the steps and kind of just like the general gist of um, the sister sister game I thought it would be so cool like if they were to make like movies or maybe like an anthology series about these rituals like maybe if not show the backstory of them which a backstory would be really cool too like how the backstory of how these rituals come to light but also kind of have like an anthology series as to what it will be like to actually partake in the ritual always think about that like we never really get anything anything like that like so many urban legends lore um, and rituals out here but you know they kind of like recycle the same the same little elements of horror like you know they kind of recycle the same thing the same things always seen um to the point where it's kind of kind of easy to predict what's going to happen in in many horror movies you know in most and mostly most recent ones because like as a horror fanatic that I am like when I'm watching a horror movie I can kind of predict like what's going to happen sometimes there'll be a twist that will kind of shock me but then it'll end up making sense so it's not really so much as a shock but you know a lot of the 
new horror movies kind of follow that same element. And I guess it's because horror has been around for just such a long time that it's hard to kind of find find new elements for it. But I love like anthologies and exploring like urban legends, lore and things like that, I think will be a great thing to kind of show the world, especially from other countries as well. Now I'm about to segue because one of my favorite moments in horror is from the first Halloween movie, um, John Carpenter, when, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen Halloween, if you haven't, shame on you, it's one of the original, one of the best, and it's actually called Halloween, so I don't, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen it, I just, I'm sorry, I'm about to spoil it, but pretty much in the, one of my favorite scenes in that movie was when Michael Myers pretty much kills all of Laurie Strode's friends, kills her friend's boyfriend, and Laurie is kind of like unknowingly doesn't know any of this has happened. Um, and she's told by the boy that the boy that she's babysitting that the boogeyman is across the street, and she's walking across the street, and as you just hear like the 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 score, the legendary um, Halloween score, she's walking across the street, and we know. We know what's happened in the house across the street. We know that her best friends, both of her best friends have been killed. We know the boyfriend's been killed. We know all of this, but Lori doesn't. You just see her kind of walking, slowly taking her time pacing, and it just kind of builds up that suspense. And it just kind of gives you like, oh my goodness, like we're freaking out because we know she's going to freak out and we know that Michael's still in the house and we know that like, is she going to die too? And we know that we just know that all this is going to like unfold all at once for her and it's just completely terrifying and I think that's one of the best scenes in horror because right now in most horror movies we have mostly jump scares which I'm not gonna say jump scares aren't good but it's just kind of like it just kind of takes away because you're more so scared by the dun the music or sound effect that they use more so than what's actually happening and it's not more so you being scared, it's more so being surprised. Like you're not actually scared, you're just surprised by the sound. So it just doesn't really have that type of effect. So it's just, I thought that was like the suspense building is what really gets me for horror movies, which is why I'm a fan of a lot of the older movies from like the 1970s, 80s, and then some 90s. Now the only like modern day horror movie I can think of they didn't really use like the jump scare thing but it was just as effective was Dr. Sleep which was um, directed by Mike Flanagan I believe he didn't use the whole jump scare tactic he has kind of just used like you know just that old-fashioned type horror because you don't always need jump scares to scare people because like I said more so surprises than scares it's just like this quiet horror and it just like you could see all this horror unfolding but it wasn't like jumpy or campy or anything like that and that's why I loved it and I I love a lot of Mike Flanagan's work. Um, I'm really excited about his about his series Midnight Mass that's actually going to be premiering um, this Friday on Netflix. This upcoming Friday, I'm really excited about that because a lot of his work has a lot of that, a lot of the horror elements that I like, especially like his haunting series on Netflix, Hill House, Bly Manor. Hill House was my favorite. That one scene, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about in the car. That that got me like I threw my phone but it was so it was so amazing because that that was kind of like a jump scare moment but it was one of probably one of the best I've seen in all the horror movies that I've seen because it was so unexpected like you kind of know I think the best like jump scare the most successful one if you're going to do a jump scare is one that you don't expect like you kind of know like when things get quiet or things get eerie you kind of hear like that kind of ominous under like underscore or whatever 
um, happening, then you know something's about to happen. But like in that one scene in Hill House where um, the sisters are in a car and you guys have seen it, know, you know what happened. It just, it came out the blue. And that's what I think is a true jump scare because it just absolutely terrified me. And that's why I love the scene. That's why I just love Mike Flanagan's work because he kind of just like does something different with horror, but also always takes it back to the classics, which is why I love his work so much. So if you guys are like a fan of horror and like, you know, anthologies, um, I I highly suggest checking out Haunting of Blind Manor, Haunting of Hill House, A Midnight Mass when it premieres. And also check out some Asian horror anthologies as well. A lot, I know a lot of the Asian horror anthologies do do cover a lot of the um, urban legends and lore, which I absolutely love. We see a lot of that. And there's so many good anthology series out here that centers around horror, but everyone always talks about like American Horror Story. Now, don't get me wrong. I do like American Horror Story, but Murder House season one will always be my favorite. I haven't looked at American Horror Stories yet, but it's just like, it's like after like the first couple of seasons, it was like more so to me and don't come for me. I'm not trying to like offend any American Horror Story fans, but it seems like to me that Ryan Murphy was more so focused on shock factor and, you know, just making it as close to like an HBO series as he could by just adding shock factor, which it kind of took away from the overall story. It just kind of made it messy and choppy. Like things you expect to happen doesn't happen. And it just, I forgot which season after which season I stopped watching. I think actually kind of Roanoke, the the Roanoke season is kind of when it went downhill for me. Like we had like the first half of the season, which was like, they were like on one of those like true ghost stories recounting their stories like recounting their occurrences and I thought that was absolutely brilliant I loved that. like this is this is a good way to do a season but like the second half of that was like this reality show where everyone was getting butchered and I'm just like this is ridiculous and I think that's kind of when I fell off of it and then I had watched Apocalypse which Apocalypse was good but then they kind of like weakened it at the end like you had Michael who was supposed to be like the Antichrist who we, who we see in season one he comes to fruition. He's like this powerful character. Then we see him like, spoiler alert, at the end, he gets hit by a car and die. I'm just like, that's just like, it's very anticlimactic. And I just didn't like it. So that's kind of why I kind of fell off of American Horror Story. I watched Colt and it was okay. Just like I kept giving it chance after chance after chance. And it just wasn't things that I wanted to happen or expected to happen. It's just like they went in a completely opposite direction. And it just kept like, you know, giving disappointing disappointment when I was viewing it and 19 I think it was like 1980 something 1884 I believe and I didn't even finish that I didn't even finish it because it was just like you know I just I just couldn't finish it it's just like there's ways you can do period piece I cannot blame for to like 84's period pieces but that's what it is there's ways you can do things like that and not and make it make it amazing for example like fear street on the new fear street series on netflix i think it was like 1978 like that's the way you can do it where it's like perfect still pays homage to the um classics but you kind of put a modern twist on it you know you can still do it that way and not have it be cringy or just excessive the way that ryan murphy the way ryan murphy did for american horror story and it just like he focuses i believe too much in excess and just not actually telling the good story like he did for murder house and asylum wasn't my favorite but it was still like the the storytelling element was still there same with cub and it's just like after like it's kind of like after freak show everything just kind of went downhill for me and it just didn't live up to the 
first three seasons. I have I have kind of watched. I'm starting double feature latest season of it, and I'm I am liking it so far. I think that you know he may redeem himself because it kind of looks like kind of reminds me of like Stephen King type of thing. I think that's the vibe he was probably going for. So I think I may like it. Um, I'll give my feedback on it when I get more into the into the season, but. Yes, which that's the only thing that I would change. And then, like, you know, he has the American Horror Stories, which just kind of takes us back to Murder House. Because I think he, Maya Murphy may low-key know that Murder House is a fan favorite season. It's probably, it's, it's the, in my opinion, the best season. Everyone still, like, you know, loves Tate, loves Violet, loves, you know, that whole dynamic between them. Everyone still talks about it. So I think he kind of knows that's still the favorite. And then you have the Coven, which is also a favorite. So I think he kind of knows that's kind of where the fan interests lie. So he always kind of brings us back there. See, I started off this episode talking about a ritual and went all the way into being a professional, well, semi-professional horror aficionado, horror critic. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I just I just had the segue and when I get started I just you know just roll with it. So the guys were coming to my TED talk on that. And of course you know the spooky season is upon us. Well to me spooky season is already here, I already have decorations and everything everywhere. But spooky season is upon us for some of you all and you know what better way to you know get ready for the spooky season you know, than to watch horror movies, watch horror anthology series and listen to horror podcasts like Beyond the Bazaar. Oh, and to also, of course, play creepy rituals like the one I will be sharing with you guys um, next week. So come back next week for another ritual and another episode of Beyond the Bazaar. Until then, have a great night. And you already know, stay bizarre.